Good morning to all who are joining us online. Thank you for being here. If you would please take a Bible, your Bible that you brought, or one on the pew back, or your phone, however, whatever version, and head on over to John chapter 2. And this morning, for a few minutes, I want us to look at two concepts in Scripture that are related. They're very simple to understand, and they're very powerful. They I'm confident I can say this. They will guarantee our spiritual fruitfulness for the Lord when we connect them in our life. These are concepts, or this concept in Scripture, are two things that are inseparably linked. And I want you to remember that phrase. They are inseparable. Um, To kind of get our minds thinking about things that are inseparably linked, and before we get over to John 2, I thought it would have some fun and help us get in that mode and think about some things together that are inseparably linked. This is not a test. You will not be graded for this, but I need your participation, okay? So, for instance, an inseparable link, peanut butter and? That's good. Uh, Spaghetti and? All right, now we've got to turn it back a little bit for this one. Abbott and? That was even better. Uh, How about salt and? Good. Turn it back the dial again, Laverne and? Good. In Mayberry, Andy and? Andy and? There we go. You don't want to leave that one out. Um, here's, a, here's a biblical one, sewing and? Good. On the three-hour tour on the SS Minnow, the skipper and? <laughs> Y'all are about 100. This is uh, 1,000, actually. This is great. A burger and? All right. Now, this is the bonus round here. Um, and I love what I'm about to tell you as much as most of you probably do. At a covered dish meal, Baptist and casseroles. Who say casseroles? <laughs> Somebody from the 830 service probably. So those things, those things are all linked together in our minds as is obvious, but they're not inseparable with the possible exception of sowing and reaping. That's a biblical law, so that one's inseparable too. But the link I'm going to talk about today in John chapter 2 and a couple of other places in Scripture is absolutely an inseparable link. And I brought a little illustration that you probably can't see from the back. This is a good lock maybe for a bicycle. But we all understand this. This lock and key are inseparable, meaning that if you have got one without the other, it's not going to work right. You lock up your bike with this and you lose the key, you're not going to be riding anywhere anytime soon. If you've got a key, which don't raise your hand, but most of us probably have keys at home somewhere in a drawer. We have no idea what they go to. If you've got a key and a lock, then the key's not going to really be any good for anything. So that inseparable link has to be together to work right. So does the one that we're going to focus on for a few minutes today. You will know this concept immediately from the Bible, but in going back and studying this, I'm astonished at how prevalent it is all through Scripture. I'm doing one of the, the Read the Bible Through the Year program, and I was in Leviticus 26 a couple of days ago, and I found it there. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And the inseparable link is hearing and obeying. Now, that's simple to understand. Putting it into practice to allow our lives to glorify God is a discipleship prospect that we can spend a lifetime learning how to do even more effectively and more effectively. We take in the Word of God we hear it, we study it, we internalize it, and then we look to the Lord to help us, to cause us to live it out in our lives, to bring glory to Him, not to ourselves, but to Him. 
And like I said, that principle is throughout Scripture, and I believe it's for a reason, so that we really learn it well, and we see it everywhere, because we all, I believe everybody in this room, everybody watching, would want to please the Lord. And to do that, this is the inseparable link that will cause that to happen in our lives. When we hear His Word, He puts it into our lives and makes application, which is very, very important, and we obey Him. Um, People see His presence in our lives when we do that, and they come to know the Lord. I will never forget, when I was a young man of 20, we had just gotten married, and um, I was what I would call a spiritually curious teenager. I never really had truly come to know Jesus. And we bought our first little house in Macon, and we moved next door to what I found out was a parsonage. And, you know, for, for a guy that's not really going to church, that was a little annoying. But God used that man in my life to bring me to Jesus because he was wise enough to discern the place that I was at. And he came over, and he saw my ineptness right away. I was trying to screen in a porch, and I was just completely inept. So he came over and helped me do that. And before long, because of what I saw in his life, I got curious, and we, we visited him in church, his church he preached at, which was just two or three blocks away. And I wound up coming forward for salvation. My sweet bride came forward for a rededication from her childhood decision. And we, that was the first church we ever served in. But it happened because he heard the gospel. It was real in his life, and he obeyed it in his ministry to me. And he did it wisely. He could have scared me off if he had come and preached at me the first day, but he didn't, he didn't do that. And so I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for what I learned because what I saw in him, people will see in us when we hear and we obey. Take a look at John 2. This is one of two or three passages I want to focus on for a few minutes to really see all the aspects of what it looks like to hear God and obey him in action. And I always like to imagine when I read the scriptures and especially the gospels, I like to imagine Luke or John or Matthew verbalizing this and telling me this, you know, the Lord speaking through them. So starting at chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So he said to the servant, she said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it, which, by the way, is wise advice. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus told the servants, fill the water pots with water. And note this detail here. The Bible says they filled them to the brim. It's a picture of completely obeying God as as fully as they possibly could. Then he said to them, take some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. So they drew it out. Now, when the master of the feast had tasted the water, they had become wine and did not know where it came from. Another important point, that the servants who drew the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when men have well drunk, then the inferior, but you, you have kept the good wine until now. In this beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And that last part is the whole impact of hearing and obeying, the fact that God was glorified, and the disciples came to believe in him and to know Jesus in an even fuller measure. That's what we want God to do through our lives as we learn to to cause this inseparable link to work in our life, hearing him and obeying him. 
I mentioned that this is repeated all over the place in Scripture. I'll give you a couple more verses. John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments, that's hearing, and keeps them, that's obeying, he it is who loves me. So we basically tell the Lord through our life that we love him when we obey his word. Luke 6, 46 is another one. He said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? The thing about this principle for us as new covenant believers is we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have God's grace that comes with the new covenant. Um, this isn't like a matter of trying to live up to Old Testament law. Um, of course, the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws, you know, were done away, but the moral law of the Old Testament goes right on today. But we have the indwelling of the Spirit, His Word in our life, His grace upon our life, so that we can live a life of hearing and obeying. Another passage, you'll, you'll flip over since you're still in John. Look over to John 6. This is a familiar account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. A version of this is in Matthew, I believe, and in um, Luke also, maybe Mark. I think it's actually in all four Gospels. Uh, but in Luke's account, notice so the similarities here to what we just talked about in John 2 at the wedding feast, because you'll see this principle of hearing and obeying applied again. Um, Jesus was on the mountain and on the teaching, and uh, the Passover was near. Jesus saw this great multitude coming, and in verse 5, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, put yourself in Philip's shoes for a minute. If you're Philip and, and the Lord comes to you out there in the middle of, of where they were with thousands of people, how would you answer him? I, I mean, I don't know what I would have said. Lord, there are, there's no place around here to get any food or to get anything. And it says in verse 6, Jesus said that to test him, for Jesus knew. He knew himself what he was going to do. And the, Lord, the Lord's gracious to us like that. I believe it's a sign of God's love. When, we, when he brings a challenge or a test in our life to see how we're going to respond and to see how we're going to obey him, um, he's, he's gauging our walk as disciples and finding places where he needs to teach us and train us some more and shape our life some more. And so Philip uh, said, well, 200 denarii, verse 7, is worth of bread. It's not sufficient for them that they could even have a little. So Philip's thinking small still. His faith is at a certain place. He's thinking, well, if I had, and I think that translates into several months' worth of wages. If I had that much money, I could even get them a little bit. So that's kind of where his faith is. He's, he's trying, but he's imagining. He's not imagining the abundance that the Lord often, if not always, shows in some way or another when he answers prayer. Back to Cana, those six water pots, if you feel if the max was 30 gallons, that's 180 gallons of wine. Nobody needs that much. But it's a sign of, first of all, like I said, obeying God to the full and just the abundance that God often bestows on his people. And uh, this is the same way. Andrew said that may not be sufficient. Then one of the, another one of the disciples, I'm sorry, Philip, Andrew in verse 8 Simon Peter's brother said to him, well, there's a boy here, a lad, who's got five barley loaves and two small fish. So now he's a little bit more on the trail. And that's another key point. We don't need, God doesn't expect us necessarily to have a lot of resources in order for him to work in our life. In fact, sometimes when we think we're at the emptiest, it's when God shows himself the strongest. So um, Andrew was a little more on point, but we've got a little bit here. There's a couple of five barley loaves and a couple of fish, but then his natural way of thinking came back in, and you can just see him shrug his shoulders and say, well, what's that among so many? And then Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. They sat down in number about 5,000. 
And Jesus took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, look what he did. He, Jesus could have taken this and fed the people all at one time, but he didn't do that. Verse 11 says, he distributed them to the, to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, and notice it says, as much as they wanted. So this wasn't Philip talking about maybe a little bit to try to get around to everybody. There was, Jesus provided enough for everybody to be filled, and we'll see below, there were 12 baskets of extra left over. That's how God thinks. But the, the thing that strikes me about this and impresses on me how much God wants us to find great fulfillment in hearing and obeying him is that he did this miracle literally through the disciples' hands. Guys, if there were 12 of us guys, and we've got 5,000, maybe 5,000 plus people, how long do you think it would take us to get food to everybody? I mean, they were probably physically tired from going around that mountainside and taking all this bread, but they were literally participating in the miracle. And I'm sure it's a lesson that they never forgot. And God teaches us that same way. He lets us experience things and grow from what we experience and, and learn, like I said, to take his word that we've internalized and ask him to, to live it out through our life, typically by serving others. That might be sharing the gospel. It could be any kinds of serving. But that's how we learn to see the inseparable link work in our life. If you notice, at the Cana miracle in John 2 and in this miracle in John 6, there's a commonality. Both places, they had a need. It was met in a miraculous way by Jesus through those who trusted him and obeyed him, the servants in John 2, the disciples in John 6. God was glorified, and people came to know God and to know Jesus in a deeper way. Isn't that what we want as disciples? That sounds like a church that's on mission, that's doing evangelism, that's making disciples. And that's where, I believe that's where it starts, just this simple truth about the inseparable link to hear and obey. Um, something else about this I want to talk about, and you'll see some points up here on the screen in a minute. In the Scripture, so often the blessing, it's not that the people were seeking a blessing initially. I mean, God wants to bless His children but it's almost like when they set their minds and their lives to obey, blessing happened kind of as a byproduct almost. And let me explain what I mean. In, in life, preparation is always necessary. If, if you have a vocation or you retired from a vocation, you prepared for that vocation. I remember taking a CPA exam. That wasn't the most exciting, easy experience in my life. I would love to tell, where's Tim at? I would love to tell you I passed it the first time, but I didn't. But I got through it and I passed it. And, you know, you might be one who learned to sing, learned to play a musical instrument. That didn't happen the first day, right? If when you jumped in the pool, you didn't swim like an Olympian the first time. Life is just built that way. It takes practice and it takes preparation. And often in Scripture, the greater the preparation, the greater the blessing. Um, I remember <laughs> one more anecdote, and I'll go on here. I, I started piano pretty early because my adopted mom had been a singer in her earlier life. She, she had kind of lost her voice when they adopted me, but she really wanted music in the house. So I remember her being in the kitchen and humming out tunes, and I would try to pick them out on the piano. And so they took me to lessons, and then um, I think when I was about 10, and I only after the fact appreciated this, they found a teacher on the other side of town. This was in Mobile, Alabama. They found a teacher on the other side of town. It was a German man. His name was Alfred Smola, and I am forever grateful for him teaching me. And my dad made the sacrifice every week for a 30-minute lesson every week. And you know how when you're a kid, sometimes you only appreciate things afterward that your parents did? 
But Mr. Smoller, he was a German man, and, you know, he, he spoke kind of okay English. I understood his emotion a lot more than I understood what he was saying. And I was 10 years old, maybe 11. I just started listening to rock and roll. Yeah, I know, but this was the Beatles, so, you know, it wasn't all that bad. And he, we had lessons in his house, and so one day he had to go down the hall of the kitchen or somewhere, and I, he said, practice the scales while I'm gone. And I didn't think at the other end of the house he heard me. So I start playing what I could of rock and roll, and I hear these footsteps and this German voice going, no, 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 David. Um, he scared me to death, but he was, really, he was a kind man, and he was a great teacher. But he, the point of that silly story is that he shaped my life. And, you know, we need, we need mentors. I'm sure we could take testimonies around this room, people watching online, about somebody that was a mentor in your life that discipled you. And that's really lifelong. I mean, I believe we always need somebody in our life that kind of we can look up to, that can speak into our life and, and keep us on the path. And it's so important. So when we set our heart to hear and obey the inseparable link, things kind of happen in our preparation to do that. Let me give you a few examples. There are many, many in Scripture, but just a few. For, answer, for example, the blessing of answered prayer. Prayer is fundamental to the Christian life, and we love it that God hears our prayer and love it that God answers our prayers. But there's a preparation that the Scriptures talk about. This is one. Uh, it says, whatever we ask, we receive of him in 1 John because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So you've probably heard it taught or you've heard people say, man, I don't want to get in a place with God where I'm in disobedience and have my prayers hindered. That's a phrase I know we're familiar with. Nobody wants their prayers hindered. And this is the way to avoid that is by hearing and obeying. We receive what we ask from him because our life is positioned, is the way I like to think about it. Our life is positioned to keep his commandments and do what's pleasing to him. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes and still sin sometimes. But what it should mean is our spirit is getting more sensitive to God's spirit in us that convicts us and gets us back on the path of righteousness. It's not works at all, and I don't mean it to sound that way. It's more like positioning for blessing, and it springs out of obedience. Another one, the blessing of being forgiven. God's ever forgiven you, and if you're saved, he forgave you, and he still does forgive you. The blessing of being forgiven, in Matthew 6, 14, 15, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So this is a lot like sowing and reaping. One of the preparations for the blessing of being forgiven is to have a forgiving heart, and that's so important. Forgiveness is not always an easy emotion to deal with on either side of it, but God can give great grace in that area and just cause us more and more to be really attuned to how important it is to forgive and to be forgiven. Um, number three, another blessing, the blessing of provision. I think I had financial provision in the outline. I, I should probably take that out. Not that Luke 6.38 doesn't apply, but Luke, if you look back at Luke 6.38, he never, Jesus never specifically mentioned finances. He said, given it will be given to you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In the same measure you give, it will be measured back to you. That can apply to anything like forgiveness, love, compassion, just about anything you could put in there. That's a principle of Scripture. Yes, it, 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 includes, it can include finances, but I don't think we should limit our thoughts about this Scripture just to that because it's so much larger than that. So the preparation for God to bless our life in that area as we honor him and learn to obey him more, is to give. But I would phrase it to live a generous life. That's generosity 
um, with our, your time, generosity with being a listening ear. My sweet bride, her spiritual, I don't want to embarrass her, but her spiritual gift is absolutely generosity. And she, she's a very giving person and loves to give. And we live in a cul-de-sac that she knows all that. We know all the neighbors. She especially knows them. And she takes goodies to them, which is awesome. But because this scripture works so well, we get even more goodies back. And when, for a guy with a sweet tooth that's one step short of terminal, that's not necessarily a good thing. But I can tell you this principle works. Um, another one, the blessing of spiritual insights. This is what we saw in John 2. The preparation is often serving. They're like the servants at Cana. Now, can we get spiritual insight from studying God's Word? Absolutely, and we should. Can we get spiritual insight from a friend or a loved one in our family just to speak into our life and share wisdom? Sure. There are lots of places we can get spiritual insights, and the Holy Spirit can illumine God's Word to us and help us to understand it. But it's surprising how much in Scripture... People got spiritual insight because they were in a position of serving. The, ser- the people at the wedding feast, it said nobody knew where the wine came from, but the servants did. They had more spiritual insight than anybody at that particular scene. And the same thing with the disciples in John 6, because the miracle was passing through their hands. Um, there's a passage in Psalm 103 that talks about Moses. And it says that Moses knew, God made known his ways to Moses but his acts, A-C-T-S, to the children of Israel. They saw the cloud and the, and the pillar of fire. But Moses, because of the depth of his relationship with the Lord, God revealed his ways to Moses. So Moses had deeper insight because of the position he was in. Yes, of leadership, but just of being an, a willing vessel for God to speak through and lead the people out of bondage. A couple more. Uh, the blessing of God's favor on a nation. Every in this room is probably familiar with this scripture, and there's never been a time we need to be praying it more. But this passage in 2 Chronicles 14 is also a picture of the inseparable link of hearing and obeying. God said, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, do four things, and you know this, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then the reaping part, God said, I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. You know, it's, it's important to have some political awareness and be a good citizen and understand things are, that are going on about your conscience. But only God ultimately can heal a nation. And we know that. And I know this is a praying group that understands that and prays. And it's just, it's just a great thing to believe God for, that we would see the day that that comes to complete fulfillment in this country. And according to that scripture, it starts with his people. So amen. One last one, and then we will, uh, I'll put the wheels down and start to land the plane. Um, there's, there are more. These are just a few I picked out. The last one is the blessing of success, and let me explain why I called it that. I don't mean, and the scripture really doesn't mean success the way we often think about success, like success in a career path or financial success. This is kind of God's way, success, um, to, to be a disciple that he is using mightily in whatever your life setting might be. He's filling your heart with his word. Um, and the blessing of success is, uh, this is a great passage. It's in Joshua 1.8. And listen for the inseparable link in here. It's Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. That's the obeying part. 
Then it says, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's the blessing part, like we've been talking about. You know, God wants to bless us, but he, it glorifies God when our life is in a position to be blessed, if that makes sense. And again, I don't mean that to sound like legalism, but it's just living, living a disciple's life, being more sensitive to sin when it crops up. Sometimes obeying God is not doing things, but it's stopping something that we are doing. So that works both ways. Um, and sometimes I know when we think about that word me- uh, meditating, it's in Joshua 1.8, in, in light of Scripture, we might think about an Eastern religion of one sort or another, or maybe things we've heard or been taught where it was a different kind of meditation idea where you're emptying your mind and emptying your thoughts. That is light years different than biblical meditation. There's a place, and we know this, a place for reading the Word of God. There's a place for studying it. This passage talks about going beyond that to memorize passages so that they get so ingrained in your spirit that God can bring those up anytime He might need to. Um, Whereas those scriptures, we just, in, in moments when we have the time we and to create those moments just to ruminate them and think about them while you're driving or I mean in the metro area if, if you meditate on scripture while you're driving you can accomplish a lot <laughs> um, but it's a key principle and it ties in with the whole idea that we're talking about um, of hearing and obeying um, head over to second kings and we will wind up here I want to look at one more passage that shows this an old testament passage where we see this principle very, very clearly. It's also another place where, um, like with the wedding feast and the huge amount of water that was involved and the feeding the 5,000 where God not only met the need, but he met the need to fill them completely and to have a bunch left over. This passage about the widow's oil is the same thing. 2 Kings Chapter 4, verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So, just like with the other two passages, there's a need here. And in any culture, a widow who's running out of means and about to lose her sons to slavery over, because of the creditors, that's a desperate situation. And she did the right thing to cry out. By crying out to the prophet Elisha, she's crying out to the Lord. And look what happened here. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? You know, I think about the times when Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes I get in such a, a blinding rush about things, I know that I probably forget to just stop and say, God, I love you. This is the need that I've got in my life. It's not that he doesn't know, but there's power that comes from confessing the need and admitting the need. And then he said, this is reminiscent of the loaves and fishes too. Elijah, Elisha said, what have you got in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Um, and I brought this one with me. It could have looked like this. It could have been bigger. could have been smaller. But she, this was it. She had one jar. And I don't know if in her mind she's saying, man, that's not enough. I know Elisha's a man of God, but What's the Lord going to do? Well, we don't always know, but we know we can trust him. And if we know if we come to him based on his word as, as his son or daughter, he hears our prayer and he answers our prayer. So verse three, 
she just had that one jar. Elisha said, go borrow vessels from everyone, from all your neighbors. Just what you want to do. Go around the neighborhood and borrow stuff from your neighbors. But that's his command to her. And look what he said here. Empty vessels and don't gather just a few. Where I grew up in South Alabama, that would say get a bunch or get a passel. Get a bunch. And so he, then he said in verse 4, when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it you're out of your vessel into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and he shut the door, she shut the door behind her and her sons and, and who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Um, and then verse 6 says, it came to pass when the vessels were full, all those empty vessels that they had brought, she, and the miracle's happening in her hands, she's pouring this one vessel into all those vessels. We don't know how many there were. But it says in verse 6, when they were full, she said to her son, bring another vessel. I mean, wouldn't you? Bring another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel, so the oil ceased. What does that imply to you and me? Maybe, she brought, maybe the sons brought 10 vessels. Maybe they brought 50. Maybe they brought two. Does it not imply that as long as they had kept bringing vessels, God would have filled them? Yeah, I think that's a clear conclusion because the oil didn't cease until the sun said, well, we, there aren't any more. That's all we could find. And that's powerful. Look at this at the end of it. Um, verse 7, then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and look at this last phrase. Don't overlook it. You and your sons live on the rest. That's the God we serve. She didn't ask him for an income surplus. Or at least we don't see that in her prayer the way it's recorded in Second Kings. She just said, I've got a need. My, my sons are about to go to the creditors. I need help. I've only got one vessel of oil. And God answered that prayer, but because he's God, he answered it, a part of it that she really didn't articulate. They had enough not just to pay off the debt. It would have been great just to pay down the debt. They had enough to pay it off, and you and your sons live on the rest. So hallelujah. Amen? That's a wonderful God. That's who we serve. A couple points to close, and then um, we'll pray. I heard I was at a conference a long time ago, and I heard Adrian Rogers say, "The best way to understand the parts of the Bible you don't understand is to obey the parts you do understand." I, there's good wisdom there. You know, in this life, I mean, we need to be students of the Bible, but because it's the book that it is, there's a good chance. In fact, I'm certain. In this life, we won't have insight completely into all of it. If we did, we'd be God, and we're not Him. But thank the Lord, He's given this to us, and it's precious, and it will last anybody a lifetime just to mine even some of the riches and some of the truth and some of the insights that are in this book. Um, so I think that's great advice. Also, I mentioned Moses a while ago. Um, something that you see in Moses' life is that obeying God, fulfilling the inseparable link, opens our lives more to God's power. For instance... In Exodus 4, Moses, you know, Moses made excuses when God called him. He's like, I'm not, I, I don't speak well, I don't speak good, <laughs> and, and all the other things. But one of the things Moses said to God was, what if I go, all right, if I go do this, and I go talk to Pharaoh, what if he won't listen to me? I bet you some of us, maybe in a job situation, sometimes in ministry it happens, you know you've got an encounter coming on Monday, and you're worried that this person is going to receive you or hear you. That's probably happened to a lot of us. I don't know what to say. Or maybe there's been a disagreement. Um, so that was not an invalid thought for Moses to have. 
But the way God answered him was, what's that? He said, what's that in your hand, Moses? And Moses, it was a rod, just a big stick, you know, a shepherd's staff. And he said, Moses, throw it down. Now, again, if like Philip and like Andrew, if you're Moses, you're thinking, okay, I know this is God, so there's a reason for this. So he threw it down, and it became a serpent. And then God really put him on the spot. He said, pick it up. Would that test your faith, by the way? I mean, it's one thing to pick up a stick, but, you know, let's say that thing was seven or eight feet long, the stick was. And, okay, God, (laughs) I trust you. And so Moses picked it up, and it became a rod again, and it was God's way to confirm, like Moses really needed a reminder, who he was in the life of Moses. The fascinating thing is, if you look on in chapter 4, I think it's verse 19, it's now called the rod of God. It's not the rod of Moses anymore. And man, that's just such a truth for our lives. When we are born again, we're not our own. The Bible says we're not our own anymore. We're bought with a price. The atonement of the Lord Jesus, the price he paid for us on the cross and took our sins on himself when he didn't have to do it. So we are, that's why we're called Christians because like that rod became the rod of God. We become the child of God and we're Christians now. And it's a whole different way to look at life. Last scripture, turn to... First uh, Peter three fifteen, and let me mention something. Then we'll pray. This is a passage I talk about a lot. Um, I know I need to hear it. We all need to hear it. First Peter three fifteen. I mentioned earlier that to, to condense everything I've said about the inseparable link about hearing and obeying. The most powerful truth about that isn't just the fact that we will see God work in our life and. God will bless us in ways we might not even imagine in connection with our service to him, like some of these examples we've seen. But the fact that it's, it's a witness, the more God, the larger God is in our life, the more evident it's going to become, and people are going to see something in our life that they can't explain. It was exactly that way with my pastor friend in our first house. I saw something in his life. I didn't understand it, but the more I saw it, the more I wanted it. And that ought to be the testimony about all of us, our circle of friends. Every one of us is around lost people. And sometimes they can be ornery, and sometimes they can make us ornery. (laughs) But with the grace of God to live out Ephesians 4.15 and speak the truth when we have to, but speak it in love, God will begin to manifest these same things in our lives. So 1 Peter 3.15 is an exhortation. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set him in a place that's just his own. And be always ready to give an answer. I think King James says a defense. This is like apologetics. they're, They're interchangeable words. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Now, why would the Lord tell us through Peter to be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's in us? Because that implies that somebody's going to ask, right? They're going to see something in your life, a, a situation that you were patient when it was impossible to be patient Or they might know you're going through a financial struggle, but you've got the peace of God all over your life. It can be so many different applications. But that is such a powerful tool of evangelism. There are many, many ways to do evangelism, but this one, the witness of a life that's obedient to God, is more powerful than maybe we realize sometimes. And that's why that scripture in 1 Peter 3, 15 is so key. I mean, just like this picture, we're the vessels that God wants to fill to overflowing with him with his spirit and his presence to impact the world around us and of course to share the gospel verbally when that when that's time for that Um, i hope this is helpful it's helped me just to go back through this Um, so before i pray 
me thank you for hanging in there with me today. And um, two, there are, there's a two-part invitation. And, you, and you know, you're, those are here. You're welcome down the front and pray. Uh, come down and talk if, if need be. For the folks who are watching on the live stream, this absolutely um, is for you as well. If you know the Lord, you can point back to a time when you put your faith in his, his finished work on the cross, confessed the fact that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and had the experience of him gloriously saving you, then this, the inseparable link is, is your life pattern as a disciple. And I know many, if not all, in here are serving the Lord faithfully in the areas he's called you to, but there's always places to go deeper and for it to get richer and to learn more and to see him work through our life in even more amazing ways. But until our spirit that's, that came into this world dead is made alive through salvation, we may want to do this, but we're not capable because we, we don't have God's spirit. So for someone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior or is not even sure, that's the other invitation today. It's the invitation for those of you who are watching on the internet. God is a good God. He wants to save you. He wants to fill your life with his grace and his goodness. But what that requires is a simple act of faith and obedience, hearing and obeying. To hear and accept the fact that you came into this world, a lost world, as a lost person with a spirit that was dead to God, which identifies us biblically as sinners. But God has made a way like only he could to fix that problem by sending the only perfect God-man that, that's ever lived, the Lord Jesus, whose mission on this earth, above all else, was to go to the cross and die a horrible death and shed his blood to pay the blood price that was required to pay for our sin, to redeem us. And by putting faith in that finished work, now we can be a disciple. Now our spirit is alive to God, and we can start this great adventure with him. So we'll open the altar, some music down here. If you want to come down and pray, that's fine. Come down and share a word. Um, but don't let this opportunity pass by to learn what it really means to hear and obey. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of your word, for the beauty of your word, just for the wonder of who you are. Lord, my, my words are far from perfect, but yours are perfect indeed. And so thank you that it's your plan to use your people. Sometimes we feel so unworthy, but Lord, you want to fill our lives with your power. You want to use us. And thank you for this simple but powerful reminder that it comes from putting into practice that inseparable link of taking your word on a regular basis, hearing it, learning it, memorizing it, meditating on it, allowing it to fill our heart and fill our spirit and fill our mind, and then taking what we hear and putting it into practice and living a life that obeys you and glorifies you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.